Amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. <clears throat> Turn to Isaiah chapter 50. That's where we're going to begin this morning. I've got a couple of passages of Scripture I want us to turn to. I believe the Lord wants to encourage us this morning. Amen. I said I believe the Lord wants to encourage us this morning. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 50. Some of us are still asleep this morning. Isaiah chapter 50. And then I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to begin there, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 50 and 2 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Isaiah chapter 50. Verse 7, for the Lord will help me. Somebody say, help me, Lord. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. When you set your face like a flint in this particular passage of Scripture, what is he setting his face like flint? He's setting his face like a stone. You know, flint is used to start a fire. Flint is used as, a, as a, a point of just solid rock. You can scrape something else on it and it will actually take the pieces of whatever you're scraping on there and cause a spark because that flint is some of the hardest substance that's out there. And he said, I have set my face like flint. Why has he set his face like flint? Because he said, I know the Lord is my helper. You know, I don't know about your life I don't know uh, what's going on in your life, but I know the life of believers, and I'm a believer. I know sometimes it's hard to, to see that because you have the title of senior pastor. But, uh, you know, I'm human just like y'all are, <clears throat> contrary to the Superman that, uh, that everybody tries to put on senior leaders. I'm human just like you are. I'm a man just like you are. Or I'm not a woman, I'm a man. I'm, I'm a man just like you are, but I'm not a woman. But I'm a human being. And one of the things that I've, that I've learned is to set my face like flint when it comes to the Lord and the, the, that the Lord is my helper. And so this morning, everything that has gone on this morning has just been the consistent theme and it's not been planned that way. But you know, when you get to a place where you run out, that's where God begins. When you get to the place where you have exhausted all your options and you turn to the Lord, that's a great place to be. Why not just go on and get there? Why not let us just go on and arrive at the place where we can't do it and allow the Lord to do it? Whether it's in your personal life, whether it's in the life of your business, or whether it's in the life of our church, it's still there. Whether it's in the life of the country, it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so there's a... There's a, there's a uh, there's a word here that said, The Lord thy God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. And I have set my face like flint. We need to set our face, we need to set our hearts and our minds to the point where we're not moved by anything. Well, what if everything falls apart? Well, if everything falls apart, then everything falls apart. Is there anything that you can do to prevent it? How many of you have ever been through something in your life and you look back and you go, well, if I'd have done this, or if I'd have done that, or if I'd have maybe changed this, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Anybody ever been there? You ever reach that point in your life where you look back and you go, it really doesn't matter what I could have done, or should have done, or didn't do, it still would not have changed the outcome. You believe that? 
That's a great place to be. Sometimes there are things, sometimes there are, are challenges in our life that we don't understand or that we face, and we live in a society that we can fix it. I mean, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and put your big boy pants on and you can fix it. Well, there's an element of that in the life of a believer, but it's never in the arm of the flesh. It's in the arm of his bootstraps, his strength, and our faith in him. And I believe that we can get to a place in our life, in our Christian life, where it literally doesn't matter what happens. We have a smile on our face and we refuse to worry. Now, I don't mean that you'll feel excited all the time. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you'll feel like it or you'll be, I mean, you, sometimes you'll be, you need to, sometimes in the midst of your tears and in your crying, you need to put a smile on your face and say, Lord, I trust you, I believe in you, you are my help, and I have set my face like flint. You know what the enemy hates more than anything? More than anything. He hates for you to smile and look at him and say, I got the victory. In the midst of him trying to wear you out. You know, you ever been in a, uh, you ever been in, in an argument or in a fight? You know, one of the things you can do to aggravate your opponent more than anything is just taunt them. Is that all? Is that all you got? I mean, and these guys are wearing it out just as hard as you can. I remember a a, a, a minister who was training to be a, a kickboxer, and then the Lord called him to the ministry. Can you believe that? He was training. He he was going to go study with one of the most Famous kickboxing instructors in, uh, in Thailand. And, uh, and he said that when he, had, when he was training, he said his instructor would always tell him, no matter what happens, don't let them know that you're hurt. No matter what happens, look at them and smile at them. No matter what happens, just look at them and keep smiling. He said, I don't care if your arm is broke, your leg is broke, you feel like it's the hardest thing in the world to do. He said, you look at your opponent and you just snicker at him and smile at him. He said that will drive them nuts because they are wearing everything out. They are exercising every bit of their force and every bit of their power to defeat you and you look at them and smile. Sometimes us as believers, we just need to wake up in the midst of what it seems like an onslaught of everything that the enemy's thrown at us and we just look at him and we just smile. Is that all you got? Is that the best you've got? You got to drag something back from six months or you got to drag something back from two years ago. That's the best that you've got. Because it's not by us. It's not by our might. It's by His might. And with the power and the strength of the Lord, guess what? It's not that we're going to overcome it. We've already overcome it. There is no wrestling. There is no battle that we have not gained the victory or overcome. We are more than conquerors through Him that loves us. That means that it's, I mean, the ball game's over. The other team just don't know it. You ever watched a football game and you've seen like at, the, at halftime the score is 70,000 to 6? The game's over. You know what I'm talking about? The game's over, guys. It's already been won, paid for, purchased. All we got to do is just to continue to exercise the victory that's already been given to us. Turn to James. I know I said 2 Corinthians, but I want you to turn to James first, and then we'll go to 2 Corinthians. James. 
This is one of those passages of Scripture that nobody puts on their sticky notes and puts it around their car or their refrigerator because we don't like it that much. James, and then we'll go to 2 Corinthians. Thank you, Lord. Glory, glory, glory. Thank you, Lord. I don't ever write up here. I'm going to write. Is that okay while we're doing this? James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, y'all get ready to shout. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now stop right there. We always talk about being obedient to the word of God. And we talk about we don't ever want to not be obedient to what the Lord has told us. Amen? And it goes back to what I said a while ago. You may not always know what to do, but you know what not to do. Now, I'm going to read that verse again and you tell me what you think it says. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How many of you have been into various trials or tests? What does the Bible say to do when you fall into various trials and tests? That sounded like y'all were counting it all joy. Let's try it again. What do you do when you find yourself in a trial or a test? What does the Bible say to do? Count it all joy. Why? Why would you count it all joy? This is about as nuts and bolts as it gets right here. Why would you count the thing that you're going through that's bringing you the pain or bringing you the the stress or bringing you, why would you count it all joy? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Boy, there's another charismatic word that we don't like, patience. Man, when I was a kid, I did not like patience. Well, you know what? I am 38 years old and I don't like patience now. Can I, is anybody in the room going to give me an amen on patience? I don't, I don't want to be patient. I want it now because the Bible has said it, so I want to see it. But I've learned through the testing of my faith that patience has been worked and is working in my life. I've got more patience now than I've ever had. You know what? I realized a long time ago to quit praying for patience. Because as I prayed for patience, guess what comes with it? The testing of your faith is what produces patience. But let patience. See, there's that rest again. There's the rest of God right there. We don't want patience. We don't want to go through the process that works patience. But it says, but let patience have its perfect work that you and I may be perfect or one, in the margin of my Bible, it says mature and complete, lacking nothing. How many of you want to arrive at that place in your life as a believer? It only comes through patience. And the only way you get patience is through perseverance and pressure and testing. Um, how is a diamond formed? Is that it? Pressure and heat. How much time? Ever how long it takes, which is a lot longer than all of us. I mean, we could get a lump of coal and put it under pressure and put it under heat for our lifetime and it would never produce a diamond because it takes thousands of years to produce them. The diamonds that you find, that we find now, were began 
hundreds and thousands of years ago. The gold that is in the, that is in the, uh, that is in the earth is produced over hundreds of years of pressure and time and time and time and time and time. As, as a young, as a young uh, adolescent or as a young teenager, I cannot wait to get older. Now that I'm older, I cannot wait to get younger. <laughs> I do not want to get older. I want to get uh, younger. I want my youth. You know, when I, was, when I was a teenager, I was believing God for opportunities and believing God to hurry up and become adult. Now I'm leaning on that verse in Psalm that says, My youth shall be renewed like the eagle. Why are we in a hurry? Why, why, do we, why are we constantly dictated by the pressures of life or the pressures of, of religion or the pressures that people put on us? But let patience have its perfect work that you and I may be perfect. That word is perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Comes from the work of patience. Without trials, there can be no perfect work. Without, those, without that patience, without that trial that produces patience, we won't be complete. I used, to, uh, I used to think that when we had to wait for things, I became impatient. I didn't like that. But I have learned and am learning to enjoy, now listen to me, to enjoy the process that trials produce patience in my life. Because I know that when that patience, that degree of patience that, I'm, that is being produced in my life as a result of the trial is producing in me something that will allow me to be complete and mature, lacking nothing. We should embrace that process. Because of the pain or because of the affliction that it produces? No, because of the end result of what the enemy means to try to cause us harm or that the enemy tries to produce, tries to cause us to get rid of or tries to cause us to quit. At the end, it produces a perfect, mature warrior for the kingdom of God. We don't like that. We live in a society where your car gets old, you just go get a new one. Your iron breaks, you go buy a new one. We don't value, we don't place importance, we don't take time to rest, we don't take time to be impatient. Why? Because we're an impatient people. We want it now. Do you know what impatience is a result of? Selfishness. I want it, and I want it now. Well, so does everybody else, big boy. Or big girl. Patience works in us something that is far more greater than what we actually desire to attain. And then he says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. In the process of waiting, in the process of setting your face like flint, in the process of sometimes we not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of darkness, which we already have the victory over, in that process of wrestling, in that process that we go through of, of working through those trials, there's going to come times where you need wisdom. And that's why he said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. How many of you need wisdom in your life? 
He says right here, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all, there's that Greek word again that we did that study on, to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. See, that's a promise of the word of God. As elders, we have used that verse countless times. Lord, we don't know, we don't know what you're doing. We don't know what the situation is. Lord, we ask for wisdom. And every time we've asked for wisdom, and every time we have believed for wisdom, guess what miraculously came? Wisdom. Now, if you're in here and you don't have anything going on in your life, there's no trial, there's no test, then would you, I, I just venture to say whether or not you're in, I don't know whether you're waking up or not. Maybe you're still asleep and you're just dreaming because there is no person on the face of this earth, believer or non-believer, that is not going through things or is going through things in this earth. It's just a result of being here on this planet. But the promise that he's given us, if you lack wisdom and I lack wisdom, if we ask for it, he'll give it liberally. I mean, he won't just give us the wisdom that we need for that current situation. He'll give us the wisdom that we need for that situation and the one next to it and the one next to it. We'll have more wisdom than we need to survive. Not just survive, but to overcome and to, conquer, to, to, to rule and reign. Go back to what we said last week. To rule and reign in this life through the one, Jesus Christ. But in, in Christian world, we get this idea that when you get born again and, and you start going to a, a, not, a, you know, a church, a, especially a church like ours where we preach the word and we declare the word and we allow the Holy Spirit to move and work, According to the word of God, you th we think everything's just going to be hunky-dory and everything's going to be all right. And that's not reality. That's like saying, well, when I get married, everything will be all right. Man, you need to come sit down and have some marriage counseling quick. Because if you don't understand marriage, if you don't understand the blessing that comes along with it, but also the mentality that you've got to overcome before you get in, that's like saying, well, when I get married, I can leave all this baggage behind. The baggage you have now, you will carry into your marriage. Well, if I go to a different school, maybe you're a young, uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're in elementary school or high school. Well, if I could go to a different school, then all my problems would be solved and maybe it would be better. Mm -mm. Sometimes environment will expose what it is, but that's the same thing. See, if you do that, then when you're an adult, you think, well, if, if I don't like this church, I'll go to another church. Or, or maybe I'll go to another church. And then you've spent, I'm meddling now. Then maybe you've spent 20 years of your life, and in 20 years of your life, you've been a part of 10 different churches. Something's wrong with that. Get somewhere and, and settle down and stay there. That's like having 25 jobs over the course of your life. Get a job. We need to go back to some of those old, uh, some of those old ways of thinking. You know what I'm saying? 
In, in our mind, we say, well, I want to go to this newer job because it's better. It pays more. And then I want to go to this other job and it, because it pays more. And then that job shuts down because the, you find out the CEO was embezzling money. And so now you don't have a job. So now you're 45 years old and you've got to start over somewhere else. There's, a, there's wisdom to putting your hand to something, staying there, being consistent, being dedicated, and watching the Lord move. But we don't like that. Man, we don't like that. We don't. As a society. Because we want the newer, the better, the greater. And so that's what we deal with. That's what we wrestle. And I'm telling you that that is a deceptiveness of the enemy. That is something that the enemy will use to try to lead us astray from being setting our face like flint. Well, see, that ain't working, so maybe you need to try something else. Well, don't tithe because that don't work. Maybe, tithe, maybe do the other and don't give because the Lord's going to bless you anyway. And then you do that for a while and that, that, that even gets worse. And so then he says, well, maybe he, you don't need to be a part of a church. Maybe you just need to invest. Maybe that's what the Lord meant. And so we're constantly led astray. And in James, he talks about that. Let him ask of God. You ready? Verse 6. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let no man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. How do you solve the problem of double-mindedness? I've often wondered, studying this a few years ago, how do you solve the problem of What is double-minded? It's like the indecisive person that can't make a decision. That's an example of double-mindedness. Another example of double-mindedness is, is saying, well, I'm going to set my face like Flint and I'm going to believe God. And then the trials and the wind and the waves come and we let go and we turn this way. We've been double-minded. Double-minded is thinking on two things and, and not being able to decide or vacillating between back and forth, back and forth. Well, I, I do like this one, but now I don't. And then, no, no, I do like this one, but now I don't. You, what, is, what is faith? Faith is a firm persuasion. Faith is a conviction based upon what you believe. Faith is simply what you believe. So you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was born of a virgin, died and rose three days later. And John 15 says, says, No, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You believe that. You expect that to happen. You've expected that and you've received that in your life. But then you hear some philosopher and you begin to be swayed. Well, maybe Jesus, maybe there is more than one way to, to get to heaven. And you become unstable in all your ways. Stability comes in our life when we say, you know what, I am a mature person will say I am no longer moved by what I see or what I feel. I'm not going to be moved except by the principles of the Word of God. The businesses that weathered the storm of the housing crisis and the bank crisis are the ones who stayed steadfast to biblical principles, whether they were born again or not. The ones that failed are the ones that went with the flow. The ones that swayed away from concrete foundational principles. And what amazes me is I remember going through that and I remember seeing when we were getting ready to pass the banking bill, where we were going to bail out the banks and all that stuff, and there were men that were experts 
and have proven themselves time and time again that they are capable and able of handling money. Experts that were telling the government, this ain't going to work. It's not going to work. Biblical principles, uh, 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 ministers of the gospel that spoke into the lives of or spoke into our government from a religious standpoint told them this will not work. This will not work. You cannot dig yourself out of a hole. But yet we did it anyway. How'd that work out for us? The rich got richer, and we saw the poor get poorer. There are, there are foundational principles. Listen to me. If you're looking for the next big thing, if you're looking for the next hot thing, the next hot investment, you are going to live your life being tossed to and fro by every wind of the economy. But if you will set yourself down and set yourself like flint... And so, you know what? I'm going to follow the principles of the Word of God in my life. No matter what, I'm going to abide by the Word of God. Then you'll find yourself at a greater level of peace. You'll find yourself at a greater level of glory. You will find yourself at a greater level of rest than those around you because you refuse to be moved by circumstances or situations. Listen to me. All that glitters is not gold. All that glitters is not gold. That, that newest and greatest thing may look good, but it's, and it may be God. But there's a process that we walk through. There is a system of operation that the Lord's not in a hurry. He's never in a hurry. We're the ones who get in a hurry. 2 Corinthians, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Thank you, Lord. It's all right this morning like this, right? Thank you, Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down, now listen to me, he's telling you how to do it. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, You're going to face things in your life and you're going to have trials and you're going to have things that happen and, and tests that test your life, that test your patience, that test you as a believer, that test you as a man, that test you as a woman, that test you as a husband or test you as a mother or tests you as a father. There's going to be things that are going to happen. And where the rubber meets the road is are you going to be dictated by those tests and those trials? Or are you going to set yourself and understand that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood? We wrestle against principalities and powers of darkness. And then he said, casting down arguments, which are thoughts, argumentative thoughts that come into our mind. The battlefield of the enemy 
is in our mind. If He can get into our mind, if He can get into our thought life, then He creates a doorway and a pathway for us to be able to exercise fear, which is the opposite of faith. We begin to exercise unbelief, and we begin to exercise in that realm, and then the enemy is allowed to come in through situations in our life. Now, I'm talking about two different things. I'm not talking about sickness and poverty. and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about tests. I'm talking about things. There are things that are going to happen in your life and my life that are a result of the Word of God. They're not the devil. They're just, they're just there to test you and to produce patience in you. and, to te- and, to tra- and, and to, it, it is a trial that we walk through. And everybody's got to walk through them. But now things that are destructive by nature are things that we have authority over and that the victory has already been won. But all those things sometimes come together in one package. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The things that we wrestle with in our lives or the things that we wrestle with with our family is not flesh and blood. It's not the flesh and blood that we wrestle with. It's the principalities and the rulers of darkness. Of darkness. Not of your life, not the rulers in this world, but the rulers of darkness. Jesus came and did what? He said, all authority. What we said last week, all authority has been given to me. Now you go in my name. And so we exercise our authority on that, but that doesn't mean that it's just going to be easy and hunky-dory. It's not. What it means is that we have the victory And what it means is that we don't wrestle against those things in the flesh. We wrestle against them in the spirit. We wrestle with them by setting our face like flint. We wrestle with them and we overcome them by understanding that the power and the might comes from Him, not from us. And we set ourselves according to the Word of God that says, God is my helper, God is my strength, and He causes me to overcome. Now go to Hebrews Chapter 3, and this is where I want to, this is where I want to finalize everything this morning. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. As a family, as believers, we are to encourage one another and exhort one another daily. Because of the onslaught that the enemy tries to bombard us with, that is our job to encourage one another daily. And he said, as long as it is called today, and I was reading one commentary, and he said, tomorrow is the day when idle men work and fools repent. Tomorrow is Satan's today. He cares not what good resolutions you form if only you fix them for tomorrow. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what it is that that is battling it. Some of you I do know. Some of the things I do know in your life. But what I do know is that God is your helper. And that when you set your face like flint and lean on His, not being anxious, but lean on His strength, lean on His power, 
you'll come through. But there's another aspect that the New Testament brings to the life of a believer, and that is community. And he said, but exhort one another daily. You know, we were, we were talking last night, and the word that April got for us, that she felt like the Lord had really spoke to her, is refreshing, refilling, refilling and refreshing. You don't get that by just you and Jesus alone. It's just me and Jesus. That's just me and Jesus. Well, then you're, going, you're, you're missing out on what Jesus had set in the body to begin with. He never set us in the garden as just one person. He set us in the garden as a family. He set the New Testament church as a family. When Jesus sent them out, He sent them out two by two. When everything that Jesus does is about teamwork. Everything that God has orchestrated has been teamwork. Well, there are times in our marriage where I have reached a point of, I've, I've, I've reached the end of myself. And guess what she does? She encourages me. She exhorts me. And it builds me up. And there are times where she has reached that place in her life and I'm there and the Lord uses me to exhort her and to build her up, to refill her and to refresh her. What more are we to each other? When you're a part of a family, like here at New Covenant, when you're a part of the family, we build one another up. One of the rules we have in our house and we have in this house is we don't tear down. We build up. You, don't, you got something negative to say, then you go to that person. That's what the Bible says, Matthew chapter 18. You don't tear people down. We build each other up. That's the body. That's encouraging one another. That's building one another up. And he said, but exhort one another daily. The verse before that, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily. See, sometimes you'll see your brother departing, and our job is to exhort him and to build him up. As long as it's called today. Don't wait till tomorrow. You got someone on your heart, call them. Someone on your heart today, call them. See, the arm of the flesh wants to say, well, bless God, I stood strong and I showed that devil. No, that's pride. That's what that is. See, we can get into exercising our faith to where it gets out of the realm of faith and gets into the realm of works. Well, well brother, how'd you... How'd you, uh, how'd you get out of debt? Well, bless God, I believed God. That's how I got out of debt. And if you'll believe God like me, you'll get out of debt too. Man, that stinks. That is foul in the nostrils of God. No, I, be I believe God because there's no way I can. I don't have any other option. We believe God because He's already done it. And we set ourselves in agreement with what He's already done. That's how we do it. And we encourage one another. Well, bless God, brother, I'm going to just go believe with you to get out of debt. Come on. Exhorting one another. Believing with one another. 
overlooking each other's personality quirks. <laughs> Exhorting one another daily. Then guess what he talks about in, ver- in chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. He goes on in verse 9, he says, Therefore there remains a rest for the people of God. There is a place of rest that I strive And if there's anything I wrestle to do, it's that. He said, verse 11, Therefore, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. In the last year of my life, that verse has uh, has reigned in my life more pertinent than just about any other verse because I strive and I endeavor to be diligent to stay in the rest of God. And if you're not careful, If we're not careful, because we live in a society and we live with religious people and we like to think that everything that we did was a result of what we did and what we accomplished. And we want to take credit for it. And we want to get the accolades for it. That's the worst place to be. I don't want that. I want my rest And I want to be diligent. If there's anything that you and I need to be diligent about, it's being diligent to enter that rest. Lord, I can't do this. So I just say, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. Sometimes he's already told us what to do. Well, Lord, I'm having a problem with my work, so I just think I'll just quit. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says to pray for those who are over you. The Bible says that your work is not as unto man, but as unto God. So you work as unto God. What does that mean? I can't look for another job? No, that doesn't mean that. That means you have to be led by the Spirit of God. And if the only reason you are getting ready to leave your job is because you don't like it, then you are carnal. And you are being led by your flesh, and it will lead you down a path you don't want to go. If the only reason that you want to leave your wife or your husband is because you're not happy, that's that's a wrong place to be. Your rest and your peace has to come in being in that place with the Lord. Being in that place of rest. And you have to enter, you have to strive, you have to be diligent to enter that rest. Because that's where... Everything falls into place. When you remove yourself and you get yourself out of the way, the place of release in your life is the place where you die and you rest in Him. I wrote this down and I'll close with this. I wrote this down and this is what I heard the Lord say. Joshua's trumpet was mighty. The weapons of our warfare are mighty. Joshua's blowing the trumpet was mighty and caused the walls of Jericho to fall down. 
We're all in a process, okay? We're all walking through this process together in life. And the tendency is for you to take up your arms and your strength and try to make it happen. But the rest that we fall into with God is where the might and the power come from. And if you find yourself exercising your own strength and your own power to try to make it happen, stop. Drop and roll. (laughs) Stop. Take a deep breath and say, Lord, am I trying to make this happen? Am I trying to manufacture this growth? Am I trying to manufacture this promotion? Am I trying to manufacture this car selling or this house selling or this house buying or this house or this car buying? Am I trying to make something happen? Because the rest that we strive and we be diligent to enter is what releases the power. Is what release that is faith. Don't you you gotta get you and I have to reprogram our mind that nothing you get in this earth as a believer is as a result of something you did. Everything that we have is a result of what he did. And therefore we access it by not our works. But by His, you and I are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And sometimes there are things in our life that happens and we sit back and we go, wow, where did that blessing come from? And we like to think that we caused it or that we did it. No. The place of breakthrough in our lives together is going to come when we die and we recognize, I can't fix this. Lord, you can fix it. You just tell me what to do. That's the place where it's going to come alive in your life. And young people, if you can get this in your life now, then when you get into college, you'll be worlds ahead of us. You'll be years ahead of where we were. Yes? Amen? You'll be years ahead of where we are because it is not by might nor by power. It is by His grace and His mercy. But see, we don't like that. We don't like that, especially religious people. They don't like that. Why? Because they don't get credit for something that they did. God desires to bless and has provided everything that we need in this life. All we need to do to access it is get out of the way. I was, I've been asking the Lord, you know, I'm always in my own personal time. Because, you know, studying and preparing for Sundays is not my quiet time. That's not the same thing. I can prepare, a preacher or a minister can prepare and get ready for Sundays and backslide just like anybody else. And so rather than me backsliding, I... I'm always meditating. I'm always talking to the Lord. I'm always writing things down. And I began to ask the Lord some questions the other day about some specific areas. And the Lord began to show me some things. And one of the things the Lord began to show me about rest and about relying and resting in Him was to go back and look at the beginning. Man did not have to work to provide everything that God placed him. No, God provided everything and then He placed man in his place and said now tend to it but we want to go out and make it well aren't you just giving people a license to be lazy no the diligence 
and laziness are two different things. Rest and laziness are two different things. You can be working and be resting. You can be working and be working and wear yourself out. Or you can be working and be trusting and be serving and go home and, and, and you're in a complete state of rest. It is not work that wears you out. It is the arm of the flesh and you trying to make it happen that wears you and I out. God desires for you to put your hammer down and put your wheel down and put, your, put your, uh, the arm of your flesh down and pick, us, pick up His yoke and His burden because it's easy and it's light. Well, that just means I don't have to do nothing. No. That means you got to change the that means you change the nature of where you get your orders from. You to be dictated and ordered by God. Our steps are ordered by God. And so the arm of the flesh says, I'll do it. But the arm of the spirit, the arm of faith, says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then I'll do it through that strength and that power. Stand with me. I don't know what. Things are going on in your life. But I know for me, I know for our life, there are things that we have wrestled with or that we have to get on top of ourselves of wrestling with in our own personal life. There are things that I have to get on top of myself about as a pastor, as an elder, as a father. And it's real easy for me to embrace the temptation to try to make it happen and work and cause something to happen. And that's not the plan of God. You can be diligent and you can be working and not frustrating yourself and not frustrating the kingdom of God and you're working right in line with what God's told you to do. When you get to a point of frustration in your life, you need to stop and ask the Lord what's going on. Because frustration is a point of anxiety in our lives where we see something that needs to change, but we can't change it ourselves. And if you're not careful, frustration in and of itself is not evil. It's not bad. It's an emotion. It's something that God gives us as an indication that things need to change. But if you're not careful, frustration leads to anxiety. Frustration will lead to bitterness. Frustration will lead to, uh, what's the, un discontentment. Frustration will lead to finger pointing. That's a bad place to be. You know, I heard a minister say this one time. One of the fathers in my faith that spoke into my life, Dad Hagen, and he said this. He said, don't judge anybody because you don't know what you would do if you were in their shoes and you might not do as good a job. Well, I'm frustrated with this. I'm frustrated with that at the church. Or I'm frustrated with this at home. My wife and my husband, I'm just so frustrated. I don't judge. Because you're getting into a, 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 you're getting out of the realm of, of, of an indicator. Frustration is an indication that things need to change. Listen, frustration is telling you that somebody needs to die. Now, whether it's you or whether it's them, frustration is an indication. Here's what you can do when you find yourself frustrated pray. <coughs> well, I'm just 
frustrated at this person because this, that. Why not go back to what he said and encourage one another daily? Brother, I know you don't know what sometimes what, sometimes you're just running 100 miles an hour and you don't know what's going on. What can I do to help you? As a church, I'm going to give you a revelation that if you'll grab a hold of it, it will set you free for the rest of your life. You ready? Church is not for you. You are for the church. This place does not exist so that your needs are met. You and I are the church together. And we exist to be a light and provision to the world. And in that process, we help one another. We encourage one another. The book of Acts, they sold everything and they had all things in common. They took care of one another. But if you find yourself coming through those doors with a consumer mentality, you're setting yourself up for a long haul of disappointment. Why not come through the doors like you're coming to work coming to be a part of what and I'm talking about any church this is rampant in all churches you understand what I'm saying we have a spectator mentality we want to come and we want to be entertained that's not what God's wanting us to do come and be a part bring your supply and bring what God has given you in your heart and give yourself wholly to the work of the Lord and don't try to make things happen in your One of the benefits is having the body of believers, your family, to encourage you and to strengthen you so that we can go and do what God's called us to do. Amen? Father, we thank you. That it is not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit. It is not in some dynamic sales idea that you give us for our job but it is through your might and your power that those ideas come alive by the spirit of God within us it is not by some religious function or gimmick that we put on and promote to build the church of the kingdom of God but it is by your spirit and by us centering everything we do by lifting up the name of Jesus that causes men to be drawn unto you, Father. Help us to consistently lift up your name, to rest in your strength and understand that God is my helper and that if God be for me, who can be against me? My trust and my weight And everything that I do, I lean on you. I lean in you. And so I hear the Lord saying, you find yourself frustrated and working, stop. You find yourself trying to make it happen, stop. Just quit. Take a deep breath and rest. And allow me to work it out. 
and I'll fix it. Father, I pray that for everyone in here. That if there's anything as a point of frustration or points that need to be fixed, things that are going on in our individual lives that we need prayer for, need help with, Lord, I'll be the first one to raise my hand and I'll just say, I do, I got it, I need things. If that's you, just lift your hand. Lord, I got things I've been trying to make happen. I just lift my hand up. I just say, I just like to remind myself and to remind you and remind the enemy that it is not by might nor by power. And I'm not going to try to make it happen. I'm not going to try to force it. I'm not going to try to fit a square peg in a round hole. I'm just going to fit what you want me to fit. And I'm going to be obedient to what you've said to do. And I'll start with that. I will not worry. I will not be anxious. I will not fret. I will not try to make it happen. Father, we turn those things loose in the name of Jesus. And just let it go. Just turn it loose right now by faith. I would rather... I would rather have everything fall apart and me be able to look my wife or Jesus himself in the face and say, well, I I trusted you. Rather than being able to look at everything as a result of what I've done or what I've made happen and that be pride. I'd rather be on that other side because that's where faith comes. When, 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 When Moses tried to beat the rock and he was disobedient and he tried, he struck the rock twice and water still came out. He disqualified himself from being able to go into the land, to the promised land, because he was a representation of the law. He was a representation of the law of bondage. But Joshua, whose name, Jesus' name came from, was a representation of not by might or by power or by works, but by the, by the covenant that God had made with a man hundreds of years before then. The covenant has already been made for me and you. The promise has already been made for me and you. All we've got to do is to exercise our faith and rest in God bringing that promise to pass in our lives. Father, we rest. This morning we rest. We set ourselves, we set our face like flint because not by our might, we set our face and we rest in you because you said we would not be ashamed. Thank you, Lord.